Hello, everybody. My name is David Castle, also known as Homage, and welcome to Do the Knowledge with Homage. This is episode two. Uh, the date today is April twenty fourth, two thousand nineteen, and we're just gonna start. We're gonna start off where I left off. I believe uh, on the last podcast we left off with me talking about my Southeast Asia trip, where I was in the world was Mount Rinjani in Indonesia in Lombok, Indonesia. So let's just hop right back on it. So I was in Lombok, climbed up Mount Mount Rinjani. Excuse me. It was crazy, man. It was really, really difficult. Probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my whole entire life. Um, 10 miles in the rain, going uphill, and then 10 miles back the next day. It was extremely difficult, you know, but at least I had shoes. Like I said, my guy didn't even have shoes, but he did that shit every day, so it was no problem for him. So, you know, I'm, I'm jealous of that kid. Um, after leaving Mount Rajani, I was really, really tired. My, I felt like I was going to die. I felt like my legs were just going to collapse and I was just going to fall over and, and just die. So we got a ride back to, uh, the port where I came in from the Geely Islands. And then after that, I decided I want to go to, uh, Kudalumbak. I heard it was, it was pretty fun. You could do some surfing and, uh, it was a nice place to visit. So that's where I went. I found a nice homestay to stay in. Now, staying in a homestay is pretty dope because it's like it's like you're living there with the family, but you got your own room and shit. But, uh, you know, food is available. Uh, usually the accommodation is pretty nice. It's affordable. And you got your own spot. So I stayed there at uh, the Alabama House in Kudalumbach. If you are if you decide to visit Kudalumbach, I would definitely recommend going to stay with Tony at the Alabama House. He named it after Sweet Home Alabama. That's his favorite song by Leonard Skinner. So yeah, Tony was a cool kid, man. We're about the same age. I think he was like 25 or 26, and uh, his parents own the homestay, and he's kind of just running it. And he was really stoked on it, man. He he loved his job, and they were expanding and building some more rooms and shit. He wanted me to invest with him. We came, we became pretty good friends while I was there, and he wanted me to invest in his Indonesian adventure. And uh, you know, I I highly considered it. Hey, shit, maybe I will someday. I don't know, but um. Get back to Kudalumbak, and, you know, I really enjoyed it there. It was really cool, man. It was like like the real deal, the real Indonesia. Like I said before, predominantly Muslim, 99%. But uh, everyone's super nice, you know, really accommodating people. The only thing that, that did kind of get on my nerves is whenever you try to go chill somewhere, like go to the beach or something, or, you know, just chill for a little bit, all these little kids will come up to you trying to sell their bracelets. And, you know, which is fine. You gotta gotta make some money. I totally understand it. And selling bracelets to to people visiting your country is a great way to do it. Um, and it's you know people should contribute to the local economy when they're traveling. I totally get that. But man, you can't chill for one fucking minute. And then you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Because if you do buy a bracelet, then all the other kids are gonna come up, and then you gotta buy you gotta buy twenty of them. You know, you gotta buy. You can't just buy one. You gotta buy like three or four or something. And, uh, you know, your money will disappear real quick. Even though the bracelets aren't expensive, there's a shitload of these kids selling the bracelets. And, you know, you know, it adds up. And the fucked up part about it is the kids don't keep the money. You know, they have these sales tactics that, that their parents or whoever told them to say. Where they say, oh, you know, I'm trying to buy money or I need money to buy books. Or I need money to start a business. And this kid's like, you know, four years old, you know. Doubt they even know how to read, let alone start a business. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs there in Kudalumbak, and uh, I admire that, but it's fucked up because the kids don't get the money, you know, let's be honest with each other. The money all goes to the parents, or 
some of these kids are orphans and they, they're working for like a gang or something, you know, and then these people make them go fucking, they're like their little slaves or something. They make them go sell bracelets to foreigners and shit. So, you know, a lot of people say they don't buy that shit because of that reason. Because in a way, it's almost like like a slavery type thing, and you're condoning it when you give them money. But, uh, yeah, man, I couldn't say no to these kids. I came home with like 30 bracelets. So if you see me rocking an Asian bracelet, that's probably probably why. Um, yeah, so when I was in Kuta Lumbach, I, I hung out with Tony a lot, my the guy who was running the homestay. And it was really, really interesting, man. Super cool kid, very accommodating, and just took me in like I was one of the family. I was just chilling with him and his friends. We drank rice wine, a polum wine. It's something they make out of a tree. It's pink. And, man, it tastes like shit. But it gets you fucked up. And uh, it was fun, man. Just chilling, listening to music, and drinking this wine, and, and fucking around. Talking about, you know, they asked me a lot of questions about what it's like to live in America and things like that. And, uh, you know, I told them all about it. And then they told me all about what it's like to live in Indonesia. And uh, Tony really wants to come to America, man. That's like his his dream, as it is with a lot of people from that part of the world, man, they want to go somewhere where they have more opportunities and stuff, and, you know, I hope it works out for him, I wish there was something I could do to help, I told him about some jobs we have out here, you know, he could work in a casino or something out here, I know that it's, uh, that's a possibility, fuck, I don't know, man, but yeah, uh, while I was down there, there was this big festival, I forget what it was called, but it's like the biggest festival in Lombok, and it's really, really special to the people that live there, they all go to like the place where I was staying around Kuta Beach, and uh, everyone from each tribe. There's hundreds of different tribes on Lombok. You know, there's millions of people that live there, so there's a lot of people, and they all have their own unique way of dressing, and uh, like these traditional customs that they do. So they all dress up, and it was crazy, man. They have this big parade. And you go there, and they're all dressed up, and it looks like a fucking gang war or something. There's hundreds of these different gangs all all dressed up differently. But they're just kids, and, you know, it's all in good fun, and they're having a great fucking time. And it's, like, the most special thing ever to them. They're just representing their town and stuff, and every town has a princess. And it's this beautiful Indonesian girl that's being carried around on a throne by these kids that are holding up, you know, this throne on their shoulders and they're just walking around with this Indonesian girl. She's just strutting her stuff, you know. And she's kind of like the the girl all the guys want. Everyone's all looking at her and wishing they can get with the princess. And I told Tony, I was like, hey, man, hit it up, you know. Fucking go get her. And he's like, yeah, but she wants a guy with money and this and that. You know, typical excuses. I think Tony could have banged her if he really wanted to. But I don't know. Um yeah, so that was really unique to be able to go to that festival because that was a totally local thing that, you know, I was the only white person there. Like like I said, there was nobody else. There was no other foreigners. It was just me. But everyone was super stoked that I was there. Like, they were all fucking coming up to me and, you know, smiling and shaking my hand and stuff and just really stoked that I was sharing in this, uh, this event with them because it was so special to them. It's like their favorite thing. So that was really cool to experience that. I saw a lot of unique stuff and heard all kinds of crazy music. And that was really good. After that, went back, drank some uh, rice wine with Tony, and then he took me to this big festival thing. It was like a fair in Indonesia, and that was really interesting as well. Super nice people. They did this reenactment of uh, some old Indonesian Lombok ancient tale of some sort. And that was really interesting to watch. I didn't understand anything, obviously, because they were speaking Indonesian. But 
it was interesting to watch, you know, nonetheless. Uh, I also went surfing while I was down there. That was really, really fucking hard. But I was able to get up, man. I caught some fucking waves. It was cool. I had a good time. Uh, I had an instructor who was supposed to be teaching me, but he didn't really do anything. Like, there was times when I disappeared for, you know, like 30 minutes to an hour, and he didn't do nothing. He was just surfing, having a good old time. So, you know, not all instructors are the best, but he helped me out. He would, like, push the board and help me catch the wave and stuff, and what else can you do, you know? If I drown or whatever, he doesn't have to save me. He's not a lifeguard. He's a surf instructor. His job is to help me while I'm on the board. So I really enjoyed that. Surfing was crazy. That was that was really dope. After I did that, uh, the next day, Tony mentioned something about a cockfight. So a fucking chicken fight. And I was like, hell yeah, man, take me to that. That sounds awesome. And it's it's how they gamble down there. So all these people will get together and then they all throw down money on the cockfight. There's like 20 different chickens. And you, you kind of look at them, and you size them up, and you think, hmm, man, I wonder if this guy will win, and or will it be this guy? And you, you kind of look at how fierce this chicken is looking, and some of them look pretty fucking scary. And then they take them, they tie these giant razor blades onto their feet, only one foot. They tie uh, one razor blade, it's about six inches, yeah, five to six inches long. It's a curved razor, sharp as fuck, and they tie it to the back of this chicken's leg, and then that's what they fight with. It's pretty brutal, man. I'm not going to lie. You know, that's their custom, though. It's their tradition there. And that's what they do. So that was really interesting to see. I went there, and it was in the back of this old rundown shack. Well, fuck, I shouldn't say that. It was somebody's home. It's where somebody lives, but it was in, like, their backyard. They had this whole ring set up with all these chickens and, like, fucking dead chickens everywhere and all these old Band-Aids and stuff because they hold the razor blades on with Band-Aids and string and rubber bands. and They're on there very securely, but uh, Band-Aids are one of the things that they hold the razor blades on with, so they're, like, strewn about everywhere. And then once the chicken gets kicked in the throat and he starts bleeding and starts fucking dying, they just throw him off to the side and then the kids play with it, like, it was, it was really crazy to see, man, like, there's, because it's somebody lives there, you know, and then you got all these kids playing out in the backyard where they're having these cockfights, and, yeah, they're just watching this fucking chicken squirm around and die and bleed out, and they're, you know, kicking it and stuff, it was, it was really weird to see. Um, I did bet some money on the chicken fights, I put down a hundred grand on it, which equals about ten bucks. I won, no, I lost my first, my first round, I was telling Tony, I was like, which one do I bet on, he's like, you know, whichever one you feel like, whichever one looks like he's gonna win, so I was like, okay, put some money down, and I lost the first one, bummer, so they took my money, and I was like, man, fuck that, I gotta win it back, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at the chickens, and then the guy will grab the chicken, and he'll walk around with it, and kind of put it in your face, so you can get a good look at him, and see, you know, if he's a real contender or not. And I saw this one, you know, as soon as I got there, it was this big white chicken, and I was like, man, that's the fucking one. That one's going to fuck shit up. I want to bet on that one, you know? But they never fought that one. It turns out why the, yesterday, the day before I was there, that chicken was just dominating. He was like the Mike Tyson of cockfighting, and he was just fucking everyone up. And then the guy who owned that chicken was going to put $6 million on him, which is like 500 bucks. You know, that's a good chunk of change, especially in that part of the world. So nobody wanted to uh, go up against him because there was no bets. So maybe there was after I left. I don't know. But I, I was on to something. I must have an eye for it because I knew that chicken was looking fierce. But uh, the next chicken I bet on, 
I did win. I won a hundred grand and uh, broke even. But then again, I didn't break even because once I uh, went to go get paid, they only gave me like eighty grand. Because it turns out I was getting taxed to fucking be there. I was like, God damn it! So I was still left twenty grand shy of where I should have been. But it was a really cool experience. Um, very crazy, you know. I don't know how you guys feel about chickens people like murdering chickens and stuff but hey i mean we eat them all the time it's a little brutal though Uh, i'm not gonna lie but i'm really glad i went to that that was really interesting and it was it was really crazy to watch them all betting because they all get really crazy like about when when the chickens are about to fight they all start screaming this this thing i didn't understand but i got videos of it you know if you want to message me and see these videos or something it was really interesting to see so that was Kuda Lumbach. I mean, for the most part, you know, I did some surfing, saw some cockfights, went to a parade. It was a really, really good time. It was one of the favorite places I visited because it was, like, so authentic. Just doing, you know, what the Indonesian people do, just hanging out with them and kind of living how they do. I mean, obviously not, like, really how they do or whatever, but it was more authentic than, say, you know, Bali or more of these popular vacation destinations. This is just a town where people live, you know. It's just... People doing their thing, and they were really, really nice, accommodating people, very friendly, and uh, very devout Muslims. The, Tony went to the mosque five times a day, and I didn't know that. I was like, dude, how do you go five times a day? I was like, I, I see you all the time around here. Like, how long does it take? But he just goes there to pray, and uh, he'll do it like, fuck, I think he starts at like four in the morning or something. He'll go in the mid-morning, and then at noon, and then mid-afternoon, and then you know after dinner and stuff, so... They're really, really devoted to their religion. That's something I really admire. You know, no matter what your beliefs are, you got to admire somebody who's who's that dedicated. I mean, who do you know that's de- that dedicated to fucking anything? That's doing anything five times a day. That's productive and and good for their spirit. You don't see that much. So that's something that the the Muslim world really has going for them. Is you know, there's just their devotion to their spiritual thing, and I I really admire that. Now, another cool thing that Tony did was he took me to meet his parents after the cockfight. I almost forgot about this. After the cockfight, uh, we stopped at his parents' house, and that was really crazy. We go there and, uh, you know, this little neighborhood, and his dad is out there whittling a stick, like this really, really long stick that he's going to use to catch little birds and crickets and shit. No, he's going to use it to catch crickets to feed to his bird, to catch crickets and grasshoppers and stuff. And it was like this 10-foot-long stick with this little weaved basket on the end of it. And I'm positive he made it all himself because I saw him doing it. And, uh, you know, that's just what he was doing. He was sitting on this... It was like a platform. It's like a porch-type thing, but it's open, and it has a roof on it. They're very popular in Southeast Asia, especially in Indonesia. And it's kind of just like a chill spot. It, it has like a bamboo reed floor and then a, a leaf roof to keep the rain out and stuff. And then that's just where people chill and they smoke cigarettes, drink coffee, and just hang out. Whittle sticks. So we hung out there with him and did that for a while. And the guy was really, really nice. He gave me some coffee. He rolled me a cigarette out of a corn husk with like some legit Lombok tobacco, which was really, really good. I don't really smoke that much, but, you know, obviously I smoked that one just out of respect for him. And it was, it was a good cigarette. I never smoked a cigarette rolled in a corn husk. So that was pretty cool. They gave me some coffee. It was Lombok coffee. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with Lombok coffee, but uh, it's basically coffee where they just put the grounds in it and like stir it up. So it's not filtered in any way. 
and it's like you're drinking mud or something or like dirt but it's strong and it gets you it gets you going you know it does the job but uh it's <laughs> it tastes a little crazy but it was good and that that was a really unique experience also uh, part of the parade festival was people go and get these worms out of the ocean and then they eat them they get these rainbow looking worms which apparently only show up at that time of year and it's supposed to be good luck if you go to the beach and then you gather these worms and then you eat them. And uh, sure enough, Tony went and got a shitload of those worms and he had them, he had cooked them up, you fry them on the grill and they turn into like this brick of of these little tiny worms and uh, man, sure enough, you know, he gave me some to eat so I ate some worms and you know, I wish I had better things to say about how those worms tasted. I only ate a few of them because, you know, just out of respect but fuck, man, those things are nasty. They weren't too bad. I guess more it's the idea of eating worms. You know, it depends what you're into. I, I used to see kids on the playground eat worms and ants and shit all the time. I was never that kid, though. I was I was more the kid, you know, watching and being like, damn, that's a weird motherfucker. But now I'm one of them. Now I eat worms. So nothing wrong with eating a few worms every once in a while. As long as, you know, they're being given to you by a guy like Tony. Tony's a stand-up dude. So, after that, you know, had a great time in Kuta Lombok, but it was time to go. And then I was on my way to the Philippines. I mean, I had to go back to Bali. I took a took a boat. It was like a big freighter boat. That was kind of crazy. I just sat on top of this gigantic shipping boat and just chilled for a few hours while we went across the ocean. And then I got to Bali, chilled there for a couple nights, but then I got sick and I started feeling like shit. So that kind of sucked. Uh, that was the beginning of the end for me. I just started not feeling so well, like a cold or the flu or something. It could have been a multitude of reasons. I know I was hanging out in a lot of very unsanitary re- uh, places. For example, the cockfight place. Fuck, I mean, who knows what's floating around in the air and what kind of bacteria and disgusting shit I inhaled or ate or whatever. You know, you never know. So, got a little sick. Uh,. Whatever, I was fine. It was not major. And then I flew to Manila. Now, Manila was crazy. I mean, it's such a gigantic city. It's humongous. And there's so much poverty. I mean, like, there's a really, really nice downtown area with these big buildings. In fact, Donald Trump just built a gigantic tower there. You know, he built another Trump Tower in the middle of Manila. And uh, you could see that. In fact, I went to that. I think I watched a movie there. It's like a mall in the bottom of it, and then it's just a giant tower where you can live up top. I actually looked into getting into an, uh, an apartment there just out of curiosity. It was, it was like affordable for an American. Uh, you know, like a, it'd be comparable to what a house costs here to get an apartment there. But I don't think I would want to live there. You know, no offense to to people who live in Manila. But it's just a crazy city, man. Very very busy. You know, constant constant hustle and bustle people hauling ass on motorcycles very very loud uh the public transportation that they use there is something called a jeepney and what a jeepney is is this big bus it's like a diesel bus that's all pimped out it looks really really sick and they're all unique and have uh all these catholic things painted on them you know these like scenes from the bible and shit and they look really really cool and they're all unique uh the Philippines is predominantly Catholic, by the way. It's a little bit different, but um, especially from Indonesia, like totally different. But yeah, the jeepneys were interesting, 
And that's just the public transportation. That's that's the buses that people take. And they're loud as fuck. They're really annoying. But they're cool. I admired the jeepney. So when I was in Manila, I didn't do much. I was sick. I felt like shit. So I just kind of stayed in my hotel and, and didn't do much. Walked around the town a little bit. Um, drove around the town. And seeing, you know, just seeing Manila was was quite an experience in itself. It's, there's so much poverty there. People literally living in shacks and stuff built on the side of the road. I mean, that that's their home, just these little cardboard boxes and, uh, you know, plywood and basically whatever people can get to make something that resembles a house. That's what they're doing. And that's the majority of the city, like a vast majority of the city. You know, there, obviously there's people who have nice houses and stuff and are living a, a better lifestyle, you know, more more affluent lifestyle, rather. But there's a there's a lot of poverty, man. And to be there and to see that firsthand and to see how immense it is and how it's just everywhere is a really powerful experience. And it's sad. I remember driving in a bus there and it's like midnight because I was going to a Banaue after I left Manila. That's where they have these big rice terraces and stuff. It's really nice. It's in, uh, in the north north of uh, Manila on the same island. But I remember going there on a night bus and then driving down, you know, through Manila, through the very busy part of town. It's like a five, five-lane highway on each side, and then there's a median divider in the middle of it. And I remember seeing this whole family just sleeping in there. Like, this little girl, she couldn't have been more than five or six years old, and she didn't have no shoes or nothing. She didn't have a blanket or nothing. And she's just laying in there, like, with her mom and another kid, and then, like, dude, that's, like, their home was the the median, like, this planter thing, like, this little garden section that is bisecting these two roads. That's where they're sleeping. Like, that's their fucking home, dude. Like, imagine that. It's just unbelievable. It's something you don't see here. I mean, you see homelessness in America, but I guess not, like, there. Which, in a way, like, I would, I think I'd rather be homeless in Manila than in Reno, because Reno gets cold as fuck. Manila's always kind of like, you know, not too cold. But then again, they don't have the public outreach like they have here in America where, you know, they're they're helping them and stuff. I don't know, man. I don't know where to begin with that. I just know it was really, really crazy to see. I saw a lot of poverty there. I saw a lot of, you know, poor little kids just with no no shoes, no shirts, man, covered in filth, just head to toe and looking up to you like with their hands out wanting some change and shit, and it's like, I mean, you give it to him, I did, because you want to help this kid out, I mean, fuck, you want to take him home and give him a fucking bath and, and a place to stay in or something, you know, like, what, how did this happen, man, uh, I don't know, it was just very, very crazy, I remember seeing one kid in particular in this place I went to called Cebu, it's like the second biggest city in the Philippines, and uh, I'm coming out of the gas station, and then he comes up to me, Little kid couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old, and he has his hand out, you know, wanting wanting some change or something, or just whatever money I have, I'm willing to give him. And then I looked down at his hand, and I I like was taken aback. I was like stunned for a second. I'm like, holy, what the fuck? And I felt like a dick because his hand had been like cut off. And uh, this is something that they actually do in some parts of the world, like if a kid like is kidnapped by a gang or adopted by a gang or even their parents might do it. They'll cut off their hand and then make them go beg and then like, the kid will get more money just for the fact that he doesn't have a hand because he kind of looks more pitiful or whatever. 
and fuck, dude, like, you, you hear about that kind of stuff, but you never expect to see it, so to actually see it, man, it was just heartbreaking, and just the amount of, of poverty that I saw in Manila, I'd never seen anywhere else in the world, and it was a really powerful, fucking sad thing, man, but uh, moving on to a better note, you know, there's a lot of nice things to see in the Philippines as well, I love that country, it's fucking beautiful, and it's really cool, uh, the first fun thing I did there after leaving Manila was to go to Banawe, like I said, to these rice terraces. And that was just unbelievable. It's, these things were made, you know, between two to 5,000 years ago, so a very long time ago, since before the times of Jesus. And they were just carved into the hillside. It's a very mountainous region of the Philippines. And they basically carved in these little terraces so they could farm rice there. And it has a very impressive irrigation setup. I mean, it's amazing. It's undescribable. Like, look up pictures of Banawe rice terraces. And it's just the coolest shit ever. Like, it was really, really sick to see. Uh, I was still all sore from climbing up Mount Rinjani. But I went and did this long hike, like, up these rice terraces and went to this town that's, you know, just in the middle of the mountains and uh, they're growing this this really, really good rice. I ate some of it. It's like purple. It's weird. It's all organic. Um, I'd imagine it's the same rice that have been growing there forever. But it comes out to be like a little purple. It's really, really good rice. It's the best shit I've ever had, honestly. And I'm a little bummed I didn't bring more back. Maybe I'll have to see if I can find some on uh, Amazon or something. I don't know how they get it here. But that was really interesting, going in and seeing those rice terraces. That's probably one of the the favorite things I ever saw, you know, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. Just to see, like, how the fuck did they build those things? Look up a picture of the Banawe rice terraces or Batad rice terraces and just try to think of, like, how long it must have taken to dig all these holes. And, man, it's just absolutely amazing. There's thousands and thousands of these, and they go up these entire mountains. And as far as the eye can see, it's just this bright green rice growing like it's it's amazing it's very very beautiful so i really enjoyed that Uh, i didn't enjoy the drive there it was a 10-hour bus ride in the middle of the night on a packed bus so you know that fucking sucked i couldn't i can't sleep on buses you know it's uh there's too many people there's too much going on so i didn't sleep at all and by the time i got there it was like five or six in the morning i couldn't check into my hotel so i just chilled you know with no sleep and that's just part of traveling that was a big part of my experience was doing a lot of you know things that weren't so awesome but it's part of what you got to do in order to get the places you got to go not everywhere is super accessible and easy to get to but that's part of the experience that's what makes things so special that's what makes traveling so cool so I like that a lot after I left Banaway and Batad I took the Night bus once again back to Manila, which sucked again. And I got to Manila at like 4 or 5 in the morning. No, it was like 3 in the morning. It was the middle of the night. And I'm like, what the fuck do I do in Manila at 3 in the morning? I have, I have no idea where I am. I don't know where I can go. I tried to I tried to book a hotel in advance and go stay there, but they wouldn't let me in. They were going to make me pay for like three nights on top of what I had already paid. It was like this crazy bullshit. And I was just like, man, fuck this. And I was... I was a little annoyed because I hadn't slept the whole time. I just went on this 10-hour bus ride on this, you know, packed full bus again. And then I get to Manila. I ain't got nowhere to stay. So I was like, man, this sucks. I just walked around the city. I didn't know what I was doing. I just walked around after I got stood up by my hotel. Actually, maybe I'm just cheap. I just didn't want to pay for three nights to stay for like half a day or whatever. 
So I just walked around. I was like, all right, I'm going to find something going on. My phone was dead. I didn't know what I was doing. Eventually, I made it to a bus station. And then I took off for, man, I forget the name of even where I went. But it was this, it was on a completely different island. I know that. I know I took a bus to a ferry. I got my bag searched by these security guards who use drumsticks to search your bag. I don't know what's going on with that. If the drumstick gives them certain powers to detect bombs or guns or something. But that's what they use. They take this drumstick, and it's literally a drumstick, you know, something you play the drums with, and they just poke it in your bag. And that's like their tool. And I thought that was really weird. The security in the Philippines is nuts, dude. Like, you go into the uh, the mall, and there's security guards, metal detectors. You get patted down. And you people with shotguns everywhere and machine guns, like, at at the fast food restaurants, and it was really weird to see. Like, there's just armed security everywhere. And apparently it goes back to when they're under martial law. Apparently, periodically, some shit goes down. They got to go under martial law. I know that terrorism is still a big thing in some parts of the Philippines, so they're just always kind of on the lookout. And it's a little it's a little weird to see. I mean, I guess it's cool. It makes you feel a little safer, I guess. Not really. I don't know. It was weird. Most of the time, the security guards are just standing around looking bored as fuck, so... Maybe they're just waiting for something to go down, but I don't think, you know, most of the time it doesn't. So, yeah, after after Manila, went back, took a bus to a ferry, and then I took this ferry to another place, which I don't remember the name of, but I know it was it was really cool, actually. I stayed in another homestay, uh, had a really good time, just rode around motorcycles all around this island and saw some really beautiful shit. It was, it was awesome. I remember going to, like, the main part of the town there, and it was another one of those like red light districts. It was just so many hookers and stuff. They're just everywhere. And it was weird, man. Like, and there's a lot of people, once again, who go there specifically for that. Like a bunch of old white dudes, a bunch of old Australians. They're really into these Filipina chicks. And then, which makes sense. They're beautiful girls and stuff. But I wasn't really like in the mood or whatever to go to the red light district. I, I, I don't know, it was weird to see, and especially being around, like, all these uh, older dudes, and it's just, it seems a little molesty, rapey vibe. Like, I didn't want to be there. I, I was at this bar getting some food. I got, like, some fish and chips, and I was just chilling. And I, all of a sudden, I look around, and I'm looking at, like, all these 65-year-old white men with these these 20-year-old Filipina girls, and it was just a really weird sight to see. And... uh I don't know, I don't want to be there anymore, so I bounced out of there. I didn't really like that place much after that, but I did like mobbing around on the motorcycle and seeing all these different beaches and, and stuff. That was really amazing. Like it's, it's a really beautiful country. But like I said, you know, if if uh, prostitution, that's just a, it's a normal thing there. And fuck, I mean, you got to make money somehow, right? You got to do what you got to do, I guess, and... There's a lot of money coming in, and people will pay a lot of money for a pretty young girl. So, fucking whatever. That's just the way the world is. Now, after that, I decided I wanted to go to El Nido. Now, El Nido is really, really sick, man. It's just this beautiful part of the Philippines with these giant limestone cliffs that come rising out of the ocean. And it's just unbelievable. You go around, and you visit them on a boat. You go on these tours, with like 500 other people, which is kind of lame, but that's just the way they got it set up. And then you see all these amazing limestone cliffs and these these crazy-looking islands. You know, look up El Nido on the computer or something, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It was really cool. 
I stayed in a a hostel while I was there, which was kind of lame. It was a party hostel, which, you know, like I said, not really my thing. Shit's weird, man. You're staying in a room with like 20 other kids and they're all, you know, just got back from like drinking hella hard and fucking people are just idiots and they smell like shit and it was just weird, man. But there's not many places to stay in El Nido. Like in comparison to everywhere else, the Philippines was a little bit, you know, more expensive than other places in Southeast Asia for whatever reason. So, uh, yeah, that's the reason why I stayed at a hostel, just to save some money. And then after that, you know, it was, it was time to go home. I was like, man, I've, I've seen a bunch of shit so far. Uh, spent a lot of money because my, my itinerary was so sporadic. Well, I didn't have an itinerary. I was just going wherever I felt like going and just bouncing around and doing it so stupid. Like, I, I met some people who had the most legit plans and shit, where they were going to go, you know, to this place, and then to that place, and then to that place, and it was all planned out in, like, a, a straight line to where they got the most bang for their buck, and they saw the most stuff. I didn't do that at all. I was bouncing around, you know, like, a thousand miles here, and then a thousand miles of there, and just doing it like an idiot, and spending way more money than I had to, but I didn't know what I was doing, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a kid who's trying to go see some shit, and I don't even have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing, but... Nonetheless, I made it out alive, um, went back to Manila and took the plane home. I took a plane to Hong Kong and then another 16-hour flight back to America. And then a flight from L.A. back to Las Vegas, and then a flight from Las Vegas back to Reno. And then I was home. Got picked up by my friend Michael, got some Mexican food, which I really, really missed. Uh, they're, they're serving some Mexican food in Southeast Asia, but I didn't even try it, man. I got the best Mexican food right here in Nevada, so... I didn't want to be, you know, so disappointed by their food. I just kind of stuck to the local dishes while I was traveling. But once I got home, I had to get some Mexican food because that's my favorite, man. I got a big carne asada burrito, chilled. And then um, ever since then, you know, I've just been I've just been home. And I guess I could talk about, you know, how things have changed since I've been back. Or how I've changed, how this trip changed me. Uh, that'd be an interesting topic. I guess the biggest thing that I've realized after traveling to that part of the world was just how lucky we are to have what we have in this country. You know, just these things that you take for granted, like like a nice sidewalk or a nice road or traffic lights or, you know, electrical lines that don't have a million wires on them, a bunch of live wires just dangling everywhere and stuff and it's just a different world, man. There's so many places in the world that are, I don't know, in, in development. I mean, you know, underprivileged. I don't, I don't know what you would want to call it. But I just know that here in America, we have a lot. You know, we really do have a lot. And we have the opportunity to make something of ourselves and do things that other people in other parts of the world will never have the opportunity to really do because it's just not set up for them to do it. So ever since I've been back... I've been really inspired to like, you know, try to be everything I can be and make the most of all these opportunities that I've been blessed with. I mean, it's, it's something really special to just even be in a in a position to be able to travel to the other side of the world and experience it is a unique thing. Like most people in most parts of the world will never get to do that. They won't ever go very far away from their house. So to be able to actually work and and do what you got to do in order to make that money and make enough money to actually have spending money after that and then go travel that's an amazing thing and that's something we've been blessed with here you know
like I said, despite all the fucked up shit happening here, which there is no shortage of that, um, it's really cool that we have the ability to make enough money and put ourselves into positions to go do what we want to do. And there's a lot of places in the world like that as well, you know? So it depends on what you want to do. But since I've been back, it's it's really inspired me. Like, I was able to go and do all these things alone, you know, and be fine in a place and see people who have so much less who are also fine. So it kind of puts things into perspective. Like, man, do I really need to make that much money? Do I really need to be working, you know, this many hours and doing this thing just to survive when there's so many people who are surviving on so much less and and who seem to be much happier and have a better spiritual life, have a better family life. They might have they might not have as much stuff like materialistically, but a lot of people seem to have more genuine, you know, aspects of their life in comparison to what we value here in the West. Like in the West it's very materialistic. It's about what you have. It's about how you look. And over there it kind of seemed like it was the opposite. Now granted you do still have that. You do still have a a fair amount of materialism everywhere around the world. I mean it's huge. And that's what's being pushed in the world. But there was also places where you went where it wasn't like that. It was more about the family. It was more about spirituality. It was more about you know like having a good time and you could see that just with the way people were over there and like how they went about their day. Like, there was a lot of people who I was with who would get frustrated about how long something would take because, or like, how people, you pay someone to do something like give you a ride or whatever, like, get on a bus, and then the people will just be chilling, like, smoking a cigarette, talking and shit, and <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, when are we going to leave? I mean, like, I paid these guys, what the fuck, you know? And then it's just a different, different cultural values, like, they, they want to chill, you know? They're not trying to just work and grind and grind and grind and grind like so many people here in America are. And you can debate whether that whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it was definitely different and it was something that kind of puts things into perspective. But um yeah, just just seeing the the difference in um the standard of living and seeing so many people who just have they don't got much, man. Seeing these poor little kids walking around with no shoes, no shirts, just covered in filth and, you know, getting their hands cut off and having to, to beg for money and stuff and seeing cities just covered in trash and, and shanty towns and stuff like that. That's what stuck with me the most. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I went and saw so many, like, beautiful places too, which I'll never forget either. But the thing that stuck with me the most was the sad things, you know, like, that's just what I've been, that's what sticks out to me in the world the most anyways, is the suffering and the, uh, the inequality and stuff, man, it it really strikes me on a deep level, and it's something that I think, you know, should be discussed, I don't know how I could help it, you know, I know there's a lot of suffering right here in my hometown and stuff, and people who are having a rough time, so how am I supposed to help people thousands and thousands of miles away, I don't know, it's a, it's a big problem, it's a big world, and uh, I don't think there's an easy solution, but to go there and see it with your own eyes and experience it and see people digging through trash bags, you know, to get like their next meal and shit and seeing what they can use out of the garbage. I saw that in Cebu City. I remember walking back from getting dinner somewhere. I spent a week in Cebu City because I was kind of sick. I didn't feel like doing anything. 
I'd been going for two months straight, just traveling every day and doing all kinds of stuff. And it was beginning to take a toll on me. I started feeling sick. I started feeling, you know, worn out. So I just got a room in Cebu City and just chilled there, you know, and I didn't do shit. I like watch movies. I just walked around town and just chilled. Basically, you know, I wrote and listened to music and just kind of did whatever I felt like doing. And, um, man, I, I, it was trash day one day there and there was just this giant pile of garbage out on the sidewalk. You know, it's not in bins or anything. It's not like all nice, like what you have here in America where you put all your garbage in a dumpster or you put all your garbage in one of those big green trash cans and then a garbage truck comes and picks it up. I mean, they still have that to an extent, but here it was just like this giant pile of garbage just on the sidewalk, you know, like 20 bags of garbage and then these guys just digging through it, you know, looking to see what they can use out of it. And that's something that uh, that happens a lot there, apparently. I When I got back, a friend of mine told me about like a, gar- like a dump city that's in the Philippines as well. It might be in Manila. I wouldn't be surprised if it was in Manila. That would actually make a lot of sense, honestly. But there's people who live out of dumps. I've heard of that happening in, in South America. Uh fuck, I forget if it's like Guatemala or, or Mexico or something, but I know there's a lot of places in the world where there's people literally living in trash, like making their homes out of trash and, and and stuff like that. I did see a cool documentary about some kids who live in one of those places and they make a bunch of instruments and they make like dope music that actually sounds really, really good out of these trash instruments. So I guess it's not where you're at, but it's what you make out of it, right? That's what life is all about. You could be in this seemingly shitty situation but if you have a good attitude a can-do attitude you can make a lot happen for yourself so you know never be discouraged about what you can do and what you can accomplish in life because you can do whatever you want if you live in one of those trash cities or whatever there's you know you can get out it's just hopefully fuck I mean I don't know I don't know what I'm talking about but I like to look on the positive note and believe that that people are capable of overcoming obstacles and, you know, pursuing their dreams and doing what they have to do. So ever since I've been back, uh, I've just been making a lot of music and I've really been trying to, you know, produce things of value for people, things people want to enjoy hearing and stuff. And that's kind of part of why I decided I wanted to do this podcast. While I was overseas traveling, uh, it kind of occurred to me, I was like, man, I should be doing a podcast, you know, and talking about these things that that I think are important and stuff, and, um, yeah, so here we are, and then, you know, that's my trip to Southeast Asia in a nutshell, I spent a lot more money than I originally had to, but I also did a lot more than I planned on doing, and I didn't really know what I was doing, I still have some friends over there that are still traveling, like, uh, Pierre, who I was talking about in the last podcast, he's still traveling. He actually hit me up the other day and asked me about what I was doing in uh, Indonesia because that's where he was heading next. And he's one of those kids who has a super legit itinerary where he stays in one place for like a long time and does everything and then takes it step by step and doesn't like skip anything, which is probably what I would do if I was to go back and travel again and do that kind of thing. I don't know if I'll go to the same area. Maybe. I really liked it. I really wanted to go to Vietnam, but I wanted to come back here with with enough money in the bank to be able to chill for a while and then pursue, you know, my artistic shit like making music and uh just you know, creating content in that way. Can't blow it all on 
traveling around and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much all I got to talk about that. It was, uh, it was a good experience, and I would recommend anyone to do it. And it's not necessarily about seeing the things, the physical things, like seeing a tree or a temple or you know, what have you like that. Like, yeah, those things are amazing and and it's really cool to go and experience those things. But in life, like, things aren't the most important thing, if if that makes sense. It's it's the experience around them, you know, it's it's the people there. It's the it's the lifestyle and experiencing the culture and just seeing, you know, the different all the different aspects of the human experience and all the different things that people go through in their lives and and how things are different and just learning, you know, learning about different people and uh, learning about yourself in the process as well because you find out a lot about yourself when you're traveling alone across the world and stuff. And another thing that I should talk about is whether or not you should travel alone. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would like to travel the world, but they aren't necessarily in the position to go with their family or... uh, or they don't have a buddy to go with or whatever, well, fuck it, man, just go alone. Why not? Why not go alone? Like, what are you afraid of? Everything's fine, man. Like, nine times, you know, 99 times out of 100, you will be completely fine. There's a lot of girls I met, you know, 19, 20-year-old girls who are traveling this whole circuit alone, you know, going for years. I met this, like I said, I met this one chick from Germany who had been traveling for like three years, and she was alone the whole time. And you don't have to be alone if you don't want to be. You can go to these hostels and stuff and meet other people, and I'm sure you'll find someone to hang out with. It's not hard to find someone who shares similar values, especially if you're all the way across the world, and so is this other person who's so far away from home too. Chances are you guys probably share something in common and could become homies and have a good time. Like everyone I met while I was traveling who were other travelers were very, very nice people and they were fun to hang out with. And you can hang out with the local people too. Like a lot of those people are really, really nice as well. And, you know, they're stoked on where they live. They're stoked that you're visiting. So they wanna they wanna show you around and make sure that you have a good time and stuff and just help make your experience as good as possible. So don't be discouraged, you know, don't be afraid to travel alone and, and go take that trip alone. Who gives a fuck? But then again, there's a lot of people who are afraid to even eat dinner alone. You know, they're afraid to go to a restaurant alone or go to a bar alone or something because I don't know what it is about our society, but people have been trained to just always need someone. They always need someone to fucking, like, be rooting them on or something and and, uh, be by their side because they're afraid or something. But, you know, don't be afraid, man. Go go do your own thing. Don't be afraid to be your own person and, uh, you know, pursue things for yourself and just really go for it. I think that's one of the most admirable things you can do in life is to be able to, you know, grab life by the fucking balls and just go for it. And don't be afraid, man. So I'm going to leave you with that today. Um, I'm going to do these podcasts weekly. Thank you so much for listening. And next week we'll go on to a different topic. I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm going to talk about other things in the world. And uh, stay tuned. Please tune in again. Thank you so much for listening. And you have a great night or a great day. And uh, be good to each other. Peace out.